0: Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Today, Scripture reading is going to come from Matthew chapter 6, and it's verses 1 through 4. And these are all words from Jesus, where he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the reading of God's word. So today we start a new series It's sort of a part two series of what we've done because we went through a good section of Matthew chapter five the last seven weeks and the series was you have heard because in that section Jesus says about six different areas of life, you've heard it said this way but I'm going to tell you this is what it really looks like in this area of life if the kingdom of God, the ways of God are, are moving through you. So that's what it's been. Now he's continuing on. He's not taking a break, but he's no longer using that phrase, so you've heard. We're still going to look at things from time to time and say, so what have we heard? What is the common assumption that we look at this particular thing Jesus is talking about and do we line up with him? Is he saying this is how this area of life should look and kind of unbeknownst to us, we're in disagreement with him because it's so natural and normal to think about this in a different way. So we'll do some of that, but the new series is what's in store. What's in store? Because most of these passages that follow in these coming weeks, there's a way in which Jesus will say, here's a reward or here's a consequence that could come based on how you live in this area of life. Now when he's talking about what that consequence is, he may be having to do with what's going to happen here and now. What's happening in this life? He may have to do what's, what's the consequence in the afterlife. Sometimes it may have to do with both. But Jesus is saying, what we do, the choices we make matter. Here is the consequence. Here's what's in store based on how you decide to live. That being said, he isn't doing this like, here's a bunch of rules, and if you check off enough of the boxes in the right way, you pass the test, and then you get the good stuff, or then you get God. No, he's just saying the goal is to become the kind of person who lives in the kingdom of God, lives in what God says is the best, what God says is right, that's how you live. And all the benefits that come from that, that's part part of your life too. But it's about becoming the right kind of person in our heart, not necessarily just like well did we do this right or this wrong or how you know how well we do no how do we become the kind of person who naturally does the things that god would want done we our hearts can change so we can naturally do respond and ultimately it boils down to do we love god and put him first and foremost because as human beings we need him we're created to need him and depend on him do we put him first and live for him, and do we do good unto others? Do we do good unto others? Are are our decisions made made based on what is good for others, what is good for the whole? Can we become those kind of people? So what I just read, verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. What's in store is no reward. If you're doing the righteousness... Um, what is righteousness? righteousness? Doing these, practicing righteous, doing good things, living in good ways, living the right way, but if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you don't necessarily get a reward from heaven. So in these coming weeks, there's going to be two barriers from having God's life flow through you and living his way, and one of them is human approval. The need, the Uh, being driven by human approval and, and making that higher than God and what God thinks. When human approval is higher than what God thinks, it blocks how much the kingdom flows from us. It blocks how much God's spirit flows from us. And the other is a focus on material things. When we focus on material things more than God and his ways, it blocks the Spirit for moving, moving towards us. Now this verse I just read, Jesus gives this example, or just, Jesus says this statement, you know, you, you can't be doing it to be seen by others. And then he goes on to give three examples of good things, good ways to live. Righteous, you know, what is, it, what is the phrase? Practice your righteousness, practice of righteousness, acts of righteousness, good things, but when done the wrong way, we don't get the reward from heaven. So we're going to look at the first of those today, which is giving. But before we go on to that, just let me talk about in general. Jesus is very aware, back in his context, there are certain people who are the religious people, and everyone knows it. They're the good people. They're doing the right things. They wear different kind of clothing. They have more money. They associate mostly just with themselves and not with other people. There is a separation and they do a lot of good things, how they give, how they, how they act, that they pray, that they go to worship, all of that. But Jesus goes after them stronger than anybody else. And in Matthew 23, when he's calling them, by the end he's calling them snakes, he's calling them whitewashed tombs, he's, you know, they're like decaying people. He's doing all that stuff. He starts with, don't be like them. He's talking to people, don't be like them because they do things to be seen by other people. What is motivating them is to be seen by other people. They love to go places and have everyone pay them respect. They love to get the most honored seats. They love when they get the right titles. They love, they love that. They love to be seen and to be lifted up by people. Don't be like that. That's what he says in Matthew 23, and that's what he's saying here. Don't be doing things to be seen. Now, this can get a little confusing, because if we were hearing Jesus for the first time, then it wasn't that many minutes ago where Jesus was saying, you're the light of the world. So you need to do your good deeds. Let your good deeds be seen by people to the glory of God. Go go, do good things so that people see it in you. Do it. Do it so that they can see it. Do it to be seen. And then right here he says, now don't do it to be seen. Don't do good things to be seen. I mean, he just said this like 15 or 20 minutes ago. You're the light of the world. You know, Go. I mean, it literally says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. Not seeing, seeing the deeds that point to God, but not necessarily seeing me. So Dallas Willard says it like this, because it can be very confusing to me anyway. As a teacher, it's confusing. So, like, should I ever give a good example of something? Like, I could give all the examples of my failure, how I don't live out the faith, how I get the draw. And there's, you know, there's just a lot to draw from there for me. But if that's all I ever say, is that encouraging? Yeah, we got a pastor who's really bad at everything. He's a really bad person. He really makes a lot of mistakes. He's really, and instead of like, well, no, actually, God does help in life, too. And I've been encouraged by listening to other people and how God's worked in their life. So how does that go together? The teaching is not that we should hide our good deeds. That might be appropriate in some cases. Sometimes it's good to do it anonymously. Do something in secret. Don't let other people know. But it's not Jesus' point here. There is nothing inherently wrong with our good deeds being known. The question is not, is not are we seen, this is the next slide, the question is not, are we seen doing a good deed, but are we doing a good deed in order to be seen? The question isn't, Do people see us? Oh, we can't let anyone ever know that we ever give or that we ever pray or that we ever fast. Don't let anyone ever know that. No, that's not what we're going to get to. But is what's motivating me to be seen? Is what's motivating me to impress people? And that's what I'm doing. I want, I need the recognition. I need the approval. I need the affirmation. And that's why I'm saying it. So when we are really trying hard to make sure other people know what we've done, that we've done this good thing. When we do that, we are doing that so that other people can see it because we need something from humans. We are looking for something from a human being. That's why we want them to know. I want to make sure I'm validated. I want to make sure I'm not misunderstood. I need to make sure they know. And God says, oh, okay, if that's what's primarily driving it, if you're mainly looking for something from humans, then I'll just step aside. And you can get what you need from humans. I'll stay out of it. I don't force my way into where I'm not wanted. Where I'm not. So just whatever you need from humans. They need to know how much I give. They need to know I'm a pretty good person. They need to know I did this. You know, if somebody's telling a story, and they're talking about how, did you know that so-and-so did this really good thing? They did, you know, they, they, like they did this, that's, isn't that impressive what they're doing? And in me, I'm thinking like, well, do they know what I've done? You know, i am done a really good thing. And so now I need to figure out a way without looking like it to let them know like, well, you know what I've done, but I can't say it like that. That sounds dumb. But, yeah, oh yeah, that you know, kind of reminds me of it it's because I need, I need you to know me too. I need you to know that, that I've done, so, so then God says, okay. Well, then they will know, and half the time they think, well, okay, right? Nobody really likes that kind of attitude, and yet there's something in me that like, I need it. I need the affirmation. I need the, the approval, and so then God says, okay, but now if I'm doing something because you, I want to live for you, then God says, okay, I'm going to be part of that. Now, this week, we're looking particularly at giving. It's not like it's just these three things that Jesus is going to give examples in giving, prayer, and fasting. They're just, this is a picture of what he means when he says, don't do your righteousness just to be seen. Don't do your good things just to be seen by people. And yet, at the same time, we can learn about giving and prayer and fasting by what he says here. So, when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. These are the three verses we're going to look at the rest of the way. The first point I want to make is not Jesus' main point. The first point I want to make is we should give to the needy. Like an assumption of the day at that time was yes, part of following God is giving to the needy. It is an expectation. It is something that, of course, we're going to do. That is not necessarily the expectation we have for us here and now, or at least maybe it is like well, yeah, of course, every once in a while we should help someone out. But it's not like no, this is a really this is a really central part of following Jesus. It's meeting needs. It's helping people out. So. Let me just uh, share a few verses quickly with you. The first one is from Deuteronomy chapter 15. This section says, If anyone is poor, so this is from the Old Testament, God's law, God's direction from the beginning. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard hearted or tight fisted toward them. Rather, be open handed. And freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near. So that, you do not show, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart then. Because of this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people, <clears throat> excuse me. Glad I turned off the mic for that. Okay, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Now, everything that Jesus is saying is right here too. I mean, he is he is talking about the fact that God will see and God will bless. He's talking about what is the motivation of the heart? When it's giving, and here's, here it is, like, don't be like this when it comes to other people have needs that you know are around you. He's saying in the Israelites, in your land, in your community. So the people that you work with, that your family with, that you're, the people that are in your circle, and you find out about a need, don't be like this. Don't be tight fisted. Don't be hard hearted. Be open handed. Don't be tight fisted. Be open handed. That's what he says. And the example here is that they had something where every seven years, they had to cancel debts. So if it's someone's borrowing from you and it's six years until that time, you're like, yeah, because they'll be paying me back. It'll be good. If it's six days until that time, you're like, man, you know, maybe I'll get back to me in a couple weeks and then I'll loan you the money, right? But what this is saying is, is if there is a legitimate need, a person with legitimate need... And help them the best you can. And if they can't help themselves, then go ahead. And even if it means you don't get it back, open-handed. Freely give it. Not like this. That's the attitude to the people that we live with, the people we're close with. Now, a little bit later in Deuteronomy, verse 19 of chapter 24 says, When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. So there's no welfare system at that time. There's not, like, bank accounts. This is just a totally different era. So if people, and the examples are certain people that can't do the commerce, can't necessarily have the jobs or support themselves, if they can't, you leave this, you don't take every little bit you can get. You don't keep every little bit you can get for yourself to increase your profit, to increase your salary. You don't live like this. You live like this. Oh, we leave some behind and then people can have it. The foreigner, which is the immigrant or the outsider. I think it could mean both. I think it mostly would mean immigrant. So don't live like this towards immigrants. Live like this. Don't live like this towards outsiders, whatever feels like outsider community. Live like this. Especially for people who are in a position where they can't help themselves. Now, certainly, we need to be wise because sometimes our helping can actually hurt and create dependency and things like that, but the question is in our heart. When people have needs, are we like this, or are we like this? Okay, one more from the New Testament, Ephesians chapter four, verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. So this starts with people who are taking, people who are taking. Now, their stealing might be like literally robbing something, you know, thieving, you know, taking like that. That would probably be the most obvious way. But if they're able to work and they're just choosing not to work but to live off of, of others, that would be another form of stealing. If they're able to work, then they should find a way to work so that they contribute, so that they don't have to just take from other people when they could be providing for themselves. So that would be, thing. but it doesn't stop there. It says, and then the reason that you work is so you can share. The reason that you might work more so that you can share more. Now, I don't think that's our mentality, starting right here. I don't think our mentality is, you know I'm gonna try to make more money to give more away. To give more away, to give more away, to give more away. It's like, I'm going to, I need, because I want this and I need this. and Boy, this would be nice in the house and this and this. And if I have, and you know, and then of course I would like to be able to give more. I like giving, but, and I will do it as soon as I get, you know, this, and I really need this. And oh man, this bill came in and now, and it's like this. Instead of the purpose of work is so we can be like this. The purpose of work is not so I can have all my needs and desires and uh, dreams come true. That I can fulfill everything I want because I can pay for it. That's why I'm working. Biblically, the purpose of work so that I don't have to take, yes, meet my needs, and I can share more. But the early church, this is a... They, God was at work so much among them, they shared so much, they lived so much like this, there were no needy persons among them, out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people among them. No needy persons. Because they lived like this. So Jesus says, when you give, because he partly he expects, we will give. We will live open-handed, not tight-fisted, then, but then as soon as we do that, you know, all right, that's open, good job, good job. That would be the left hand the right hand not knowing what they do. So one thing we do is to be seen by people, the other thing we do is to just feel really good about ourselves. Now, how does that look today? Because we don't have, they sort of, you know, don't blow the trumpets, I mean, they probably literally did something like that, it's very odd to me. Although I would like to just do it once. Offering time? Burp, 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 burp. All right, here we go. Everybody march down. That would be fun. But, you know, our version of this is like what name goes on the building, right? Nobody's, nobody's wanting their name on the mop, right? Nobody's you know, interested in like, I'm supporting maintenance, so, you know, put my name on the, no. Recognition. So it can look like things like, okay, so am I going to sign up to be a Panther Booster Helper? All right. Well, if I go to this range from the, I don't know what it is, you know, the $20 range, then I would be, when my name goes in the little thing, I'd be like this level instead of black or gold. Now, it's, it's 50 to 250, you're in the black club. So am I, or 50 to 249, so do I want to give 50 or 250? I mean, there's no way I'm giving 125. 125, that's, somebody will just, I don't get recognized for 125. I'm going to give 125, I either should give 250 or I should give the, because I can get the same recognition at the 50. I don't think that's the point of the booster club, right? And yet, maybe that doesn't, but there can be a way of like, who is going to, if I'm going to give something, who's going to notice? Are they going to notice? Will it be made known? And the giving to the poor is not the same as giving to the church, so to speak. They had to give 10% of their income that was to fund the the Levites, the temple, the the worship, the the, utilities, sacrifices, animals, and the salaries or whatever. All of that is part of how that was working. But they had more than one tithe. They had a second 10%. So they had this like, first fruit of this, and they had another tithe. And part of that was to go towards the poor. So there is a way in which giving to the poor, giving to the needy, there was syst- systematic ways of doing that, to give to the system that helped the needy. That's why people would blow the trumpets. That kind of. And then there's also just helping someone out individually. We should be open to doing both to helping give towards the operations of things, the church, the well, mission organizations, or individuals, as the Lord leads. As, it, as I read, the poor will always be with us. None of us can meet every need, but we should try to meet some needs. That should just be that's just a part of a person who's following God. It's like, I want to meet needs. But a lot of times, what motivates, and what I think I observe motivates, is like, is this emotionally moving to me enough? Then I'm going to give to that. Or are people going to notice? And that's where, if that's the case, we could be getting a little bit more too. We're doing it for different reasons than just to be good. So let me, let me give an, an example. Uh, There is a way that some people tithe to the church. They give 10% of their income to the church. Nobody knows it. Nobody knows it. I do. I mean, I just, well, I don't know if you give 10%. But I know what people give in terms of unless they give cash. But we do not give that much cash to, I mean, that's a very small percentage of what we receive as a church, is whatever little cash goes in. Mostly it's people give. So, Certain times, like when it comes to, I'm not going to go there. What I will say is, what I can notice is some people give to this cause this much, and people know about it. And then there's some people who just quietly, faithfully give to the church, probably to things I don't know about. Nobody knows. That is a way of secret giving. Now you know that I know. Maybe you don't want to give here. You could lose your reward in heaven. Elders are panicking. He's just caused our budget to go down by the things he's saying. (laughs) All I'm trying to do is make a point. But now I'm going to swing into more personal land to move us towards a close. So, and that is what I've tried to say is we should give. That's in here. Obviously, the main thrust of this passage is what's motivating our giving, and it should be to give to God, not to be seen by others or feel really good about ourselves. But then there's this thing of like, God says he'll reward. Hmm. What does that look like? I mean, it's pretty clear. He's going to say it again and again. I will reward. You give right reasons. I will reward. And I was ready to go here. Here's why. I have seen the reward so often, particularly when people do give financially. So a favorite passage of pastors that they will do a lot is from Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi chapter 3, God says through the prophet, uh, return to me and I will return to you, declares the Lord Almighty. You might ask, how would we return to you? Well, can a mere human being rob God? And you might ask, how could we rob God? By not bringing in the tithes and the offerings. If you will bring in the full tithe, the full 10% and the offering, if you will bring that in, just test me in this. By the way, the Bible says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy, said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Except there's one place you can put the Lord your God to the test. Giving money. Test him. And see if he will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you can't handle it. Okay, man, pastor's dream passage. Like, see, give 10%, then here we go. Blessing, you know, all right. And I'll get a new car and a new jet. And, you know, that's like the... It does go that way in some days. But, like, here's, here's my thing. I actually do believe this. I mean, if you just want my honest opinion... I believe if you tithe and give offerings, you will get blessing from the Lord. I believe that with all my heart. And I don't care if you're young or you're old. I don't care if you have a lot of money or you have less money. Actually, the more money you make, the less likely you are to tithe. Go figure that one out, statistically speaking. I believe it. Now, do we need to argue about the exact percentage number, do we need, to, I, don't, I don't need to get into that. But 10% is like the Old Testament standard. It's really higher than that in the Old Testament. And Jesus, everything we've heard when he says, you have heard it said, he doesn't take it down a notch, right? <laughs> he increases it. You look at Acts. They didn't just, oh, 10%. That's not how they got to like nobody had need among them. So, I believe with all my heart, and I have watched it. I'm just thinking to myself, This I hadn't thought about this for a long time, but this construction worker comes into my office. This was a long time ago, back when I worked at 3rd and Pella. And he wants to talk about pornography and all of, you know, he's got issues that he's going to deal with. So we go through all these things. And at the very end, puts a wad of $100 bills on my desk, or on my table. So that... You can have this and give this to somebody that needs it? I thought, oh, OK. He said, you know, about six, seven, eight months ago you talked about tithing, giving 10 percent. You should try it and see what happens. So I did. I got more money in the bank than I've ever had. He's like, he didn't own construction anything. Like, he just was a construction worker. So there you go. And he left. Now, I have seen, it's not always financial, but I have seen time and time again where people say, they tell me stories. I started giving, this is what happened. I started giving, this is what. One guy said, you know what? You told me to test it. It didn't. I'm not seeing anything financial. Nothing. But my marriage has never been better. There's a blessing. I totally believe that. Totally believe it. But I was kind of caught off guard because what I realized is when I'm thinking about this passage and a reward from heaven, that's what I'm thinking about. He supplies. Life gets better. Isn't that? His blessing comes to me. Then I read a couple wise teachers who have have gone to the Lord now. They're no longer with us. And what they say about this passage? Here it is, verse. Let's uh, John Stott quote: "What then is the reward which the heavenly Father gives the secret giver? It is neither public nor necessarily future. It is probably the only reward which genuine love wants when making a gift to the needy, namely to see the need." Genuine love gives for the good that the gift could do. And that's the reward. I was feeling like this heading into this sermon. I read that, and I feel like this. Because I'm missing it. That's the reward I want, that my gifts would do good. He says this next, to sum up our Christian giving is to be neither before other people waiting for the clapping to begin, nor even before ourselves, our left hand applauding our right hand's generosity, but before God, who sees our secret heart And rewards us with the discovery that, as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Part of the reward is just we, by giving, for the right reasons, become generous people. And being a generous person is a really good thing. It's a really good way to live. It's living like this instead of like this. Who would you rather be around? Who would you rather live with? Who would you rather be connected to? This? Or this? So that was John Stop. Just going to read a few from Dallas Willard. Same concept. I like the way he says it. He says, "The one who gives without regard to who is looking." and does not even notice it as anything special themselves, like it's no big deal, is the very one who has God's attention and becomes God's creative partner in well-doing. When we give and do good things and want others to know it, because we need something from humans, But when we give, because that's just how you live in the kingdom, that's just normal. Instead of God stepping aside and letting us get what we need from humans, he says, oh, I'm going to be part of this with you. Next quote, or going on, he or she will know the fellowship of God and see the effects of these deeds multiplied for good in the power of God. One of the rewards is that when I just give, for me to be seen, it'll have some impact. When I give to be cooperating with God, he will multiply the impact. Which is this last quote. Characteristically, people like this are well known for how much they can accomplish. But we should know... As Jesus knew, that it is because the hand of of the hand of God engaged along with them. One of the rewards we get from giving is God with us, and God doing things that only He could do, and we may not see it exactly. Like this gift saw this need met. But we will be part of seeing God move more naturally in our life as a whole. And one of, the, one of the great joys of being a pastor is that people will give anonymous gifts through me. Or I will give gifts on behalf of the church and then hear back from other people. And one of the greatest things to hear is when a gift comes at just the right time. Sometimes at just the exact right amount of money. And I have seen it over and over again, as you, as people who have been generous, that because God's part of it, it is just at the right time. Like, then they see that, and they're like, thank you, Celebrate Church, or thank this person that I don't know. But they're also like, thank you. There's no, they didn't know about this. They couldn't have known about the time you did this. And that's the reward we're looking for now. We're coming here, and our main motivation to give should be that he who did not spare his own son, will he not graciously give us all things? He is like this. He is like this. To anyone and everyone who wants him, totally open-handed. Totally open-handed. The Lord's Supper we are about to celebrate is a feast of remembrance, of communion, and of hope. For Christ has died, and Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Let us pray. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, so that the bread which we break, and the... And the cup which we bless may be to us the communion of the body and blood of Christ. Grant that being joined together in him, we may attain to the unity of the faith and grow up in all things into Christ our Lord. And we pray that your whole church, O Lord, may soon be gathered from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to say the words of institution in a moment, but just to explain how we're going to do communion together. First of all, if you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to come. You are welcome to come. We are going to have four stations, two this way, two that way. If you will come towards the middle here and then go out, and if your two sections will go towards the middle and go out, we do have uh, gluten-free available for those that have that, that need. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you, given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. And the cup of blessing which we bless is the communion of the blood of Christ. And as we come to the table this morning, we can know he is enough. He will always give us enough. He will always be enough. I invite the elders to come forward at this time.